0: Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast with me, Dean Duplessis. Great to have you along again. And uh, just in case you haven't heard about the Dean at Stumps podcast, uh, you can uh, subscribe via various uh, means. If you look for the podcast Dean at Stumps on uh, Apple or uh, Spotify, Overcast or uh, Google, you can then subscribe and listen to some fantastic interviews. We've just recently uploaded an an incredibly emotional Vusi Sibanda, former Zimbabwe batsman, uh, talking about uh, an incredibly tough ordeal he had, and uh, many, many more as well. Graham Hick, one of uh, England's finest batsmen, and I say this with bias because, of course, he's from Zimbabwe, well, born Ooh. in Zimbabwe, but it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome to this show one of uh, England's bowlers who, had he not been as injured as he was, I can assure you probably would have ended up with the amount of test wickets that he had, uh, which was... Well, he had 354 first class wickets, and quite possibly, had he been injury free, may have had 354 test wickets. His uh, voice is very well known on Talksport 2. He speaks with command and authority. Alex Tudor. Tudes, welcome to D Nut Stumps. How are you doing, mate?
1: Well, well, thank you for that intro. That was um, some intro. I've not had an intro like that before. Um, (laughs) Very kind words. I'm good. I'm one of them joyful fellas and I'm just happy. You know, life's okay even during these um, these mad times. But it's um, you know brought people together. You're spending quality time with your kids, your loved ones, and and just making sure everyone mentally is is okay during this time because it is difficult.
0: It certainly is very difficult. Now, uh, before we went on air or before we started recording, you were telling me that uh, you're a bit of daily daycare during the day as well. Um, because um your your wife isn't in, in the police so i would imagine that spending time with the kids is incredibly tiring but um quite a bit of fun as well
1: yeah yeah wife's wife's got um you know proper job um she she's in the police force and, and quite important up in that she's now a sergeant so she's busy dealing with uh bad people out here but um yeah I've been daddy daycare I I work at an independent school called Kim Bolton I got furloughed um actually came off furlough today but you know I got furloughed during this pandemic and um yeah I was just able to you know be daddy daycare at home you know the homeschooling um you know keeping the kids entertained stuff like that but I suppose being a coach sort of helps you know that sort of keeping the kids entertained and playing
0: games and that type of thing. I'm a big kid myself <laughs> um, and I'm very old school. So
1: I'm getting my boy and my daughter into sort of the games I used to play when I was a kid. I have a console and um, it has like 1,300 games and oh. it's got all the old classics like your Street Fighter, your Mortal Kombat, your OutRun and all these games that, you know, the old heads would yeah. would remember. Yeah. I'm getting my kids into, into those games and I absolutely love it. So we have lots of fun. Um, they were generally good on the home schooling front. But then after a while obviously they're like, Daddy, we're not at school, you're not a teacher uh, you know, it, it was it was it was getting tough but you know, they're they're clever kids and you know, I'm happy um where they're at and you know, as they say I say they start back on Friday and they're very much looking back going to see their friends and and getting back into the school life, of things.
0: Mm, yeah, and uh, any possibility of seeing uh, a, a young Tudor running in and, and taking wickets for sure. England? <laughs> um,
1: I know everyone asked that. My boy, five. Um, he turned six by the end of the end of the year. Um, he, he has the like the fundamentals. He's sort of all about football and his martial arts. People that follow me on Instagram and and social media, I sort of put posts up with him doing his his sort of self-defence classes and stuff like that in this day and age, I think it's important yes. that you're able to, to look after yourself. Um, so he does that, loves that. He, he thinks he's a power ranger. Um, and, um, yeah, he kicks a ball, he can catch, he can throw, you know, he's, he's not bad with a cricket bat in his hand. Um, and we'll just see, you know, as I said, I've always given my kids the tools and then whatever they run off with that's that's totally up to them I'm not mm-hmm. going to be one of their parents that just because daddy was a sportsman a cricket guy they're going to be doing it I mean don't get me wrong they'll have the the skills because I said I will always make sure my kids can catch can throw that type of thing yeah yeah um and if he wants to you know uh, go somewhere with it then I'll be right behind him um but it's really difficult isn't it you, you know you think of the the father-son um sort of in sport it's always quite hard, especially if you're you know, I'm not saying myself, but, you know, especially the fathers who are a great there in their field and then their children come along and everyone's like, Oh, is he gonna be just as good? And don't get me wrong, some kids have become much better and have much more successful careers than their than their parents, but it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um yeah. so we'll just wait and see what, what, what way he goes.
0: Well, Alex, uh, the first time I came across you obviously would have been uh, back in 2001. You know, unfortunately, in this part of the world, we can't follow the county circuit as close as we would like. But we'll yeah. get we'll get to your playing days in a bit. But that was the first time I... Uh, well, actually, 1999, let me correct myself, when you scored as a night watchman, scored the highest score by an English night watchman when you scored your 99 not out against New Zealand. Uh, to to secure a, a very comfortable win for England in a Test match. But I want to just talk about the, when I really heard you talking for the first time, that was on TalkSport 2. And I was mesmerized, you know. I mean, the, the, the authority and command in which you talk... Um, on on radio, is that something that you kind of have always had in the back of your mind is to do a little bit of work on radio and and television because you you really are incredibly gifted and natural when you do your summarising in in terms of the the test matches and so on?
1: Well, Dean, that's a high praise indeed. No, thanks. Um, (laughs) I I just, when, because obviously Drew McRae had a lot of injuries, so I had a lot of downtime. And in my downtime, um, especially because I got into the England side quite early, I started in 98 when I went to the Ashes 98-99 uh, series. And I just, I just always something I've wanted to do. I've always liked what Sky, and like I love my football as well. And, you know, those guys on the Soccer Saturday panel, they sit there, they chat five, six hours on a sport that they absolutely love and get paid for it. Um, absolutely love it and when my dad you know growing up he'd always listen to TMS he'll have the TV on but he'll have the TV commentary down listening to the radio right um, because on radio I just feel you're able to tell a little bit more of a story you can have a little bit more fun you know is um, a little bit more serious um, you have to be on the ball a little bit more radio can be more relaxed I think that sort of works for the type of character I am and um I was quite lucky. I've, I've worked on BBC before. And then John Norman, a um, good friend of mine now, um, who's the producer of the cricket at uh, TalkSport, he just got us in. And, you know, I just, I just loved it. I, I, did, I do the I, I do the IPL games in, in our winter or whatever, and I go in and, and I, I do that, and I, I thoroughly much enjoyed it. And then I've been lucky enough, I went to the West Indies last year in, obviously, South Africa this year, you know, calling on the, the ODIs in the T20s, and I just feel, um, you know, I feel fortunate, but I absolutely love it, and the one thing I've learned is, be yourself. Um, sometimes I've heard people before, you know, you know, colleagues and, 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 and people in the, in the field, and I just feel, you know, when you speak to them, they're slightly different than what they are when you hear them on radio or TV. Yes. Um... And I, I just remember, you know, my dad always saying, just be yourself, son. Let you ball, um, let your personality come out. So people might, when they hear me on radio, I get really excited. And I remember a lot of the stuff that my dad growing in a West Indian home when I'm round his mates and when I used to watch my dad play cricket and we were very vocal and very loud and shouting and, and really enjoying the games and coming out with all different types of, um, cricket terminology and all that type of thing and I just sort of express that on there and and, and like yourself and, and others I've got good feedback from that and, and that's what I'll just continue to try and do I just try and be myself don't try and be someone that I'm not everyone sort of says I get my posh radio voice on for the friends that know me um, they say you, I could always tell you know, you get your posh your posh English voice, voice out <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm doing that Obviously you have to be mindful because not everybody listening knows cricket and I always remember going on a media course, you know, you have to explain it as if, you know, there's a lady in a bakery that's just got the radio on, she's listening but she hasn't got the foggiest idea what's going on. So you have to paint that picture and, you know, try and explain it, try not to, you know, say too much cricket jargon Um, and you have to be mindful of that And, and that's what I've tried to do going into my
0: commentary and, and also it's very very important as well to understand that you know it's one thing explaining when you are summarizing on television because there's pictures to go with your explanation so there's also right. you can use a mouse and, and things like that but when you're on radio you are talking to people who can't see you and i don't specifically mean visually impaired or blind people you know, I mean, Mm. obviously people on radio can't see you full stop. So it's, I mean, obviously having done radio and television work myself for a very long time, you always have to remember where you are when you're talking. So if you're on TV, you can talk a certain way. But if you're on radio, you talk a a different way, not in terms Mm. of using your voice, but in terms of explanations.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I totally agree. And uh, and especially uh, TV as well. Yeah, it's it's quick. Yes. So you have to get. You have to say really, really quickly on radio. You can be a little bit. You can pause in between when the commentators talking, as the bowlers running in, um, and then once that ball's dead, you can come in and speak again, and you can continue your story or whatever it is that you're trying to explain to the people listening. Where radio, as you say, the pictures there for them, and you know what you're going to say might be slightly different than someone that that's working radio. So yeah you know you get the people that work radio you get people that sometimes do both and they're able just to adapt very very well I mean I've been you know working very closely and been quite lucky enough to work with David Bumble Lloyd um, and I, I just listen and pick up a few things and he would advise me as well um, he was my coach years and years ago yes. um, in the England age group growing up and he was my coach or the manager when we went to Australia on my first tour so I've got a good relationship with him and, and I find him absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, just learning his techniques and, and what he does and stuff like that. He, he's really brilliant and obviously he's got a great sense of humour, very funny man. <laughs> Everyone likes when, uh, when when Bumble's on.
0: I have a challenge for you Tudes I'd like to the next time I, or I hear you on radio or maybe in the not too distant future I would actually like to hear you doing a bit more than summarizing I want you to be the commentator who in that same way of, of summarizing describes you know in comes Joffrey uh, Archer and Bowles to yeah. uh, whoever it is so I would like you to, to move now to take to go up a gear like Mark Butcher has done I'd like you to become the anchor as opposed to the summarizer is that something that you'd like like to do?
1: Um, I don't know, some Butch actually said that to me actually, because when we were, we were out there together yeah. in, um, in South Africa, and, and I was saying, you know, I call him Cuz. he's like my, my cousin, <laughs> he, you know, when we our sorry days and stuff, and, and I said, Cuz like, how do you, is that easier or harder than the sunrise? And he actually says, Al, because we've played the game, not necessarily that you, he said, it's actually quite easy. Um, which or easier. He, he didn't. Yeah. He, he sort of um, said it wasn't as bad as he first thought. And, um, you know, he stepped into that role extremely well and I thought he did. He was, uh, he was great as our lead in South Africa. Um, I know he's done Sri Lanka and stuff like that, but I was obviously only with him in South Africa. And, and he was absolutely brilliant, you know, because obviously he could do what the Summer it does, but he brings in the summariser, you know, the sort of expert to come in and, and you know, sort of talk about the technical stuff, even though he could also do that. But he doesn't overdo that in his commentary, which I think is good, because um, sometimes someone that's played the game at the highest level and has had a distinguished career like he has, you know, sometimes you could maybe fall into the, you know you actually are asking the question and answering it at the same time. So the sun rises <laughs> sort of comes a bit redundant, but he, he, he does that extremely well. And, you know, and myself and uh, Darren Goff and, and Gareth Batty, when we was out there, we felt at ease with Mark in the chair calling the game. But um, I do not thought back too much, really. I, he sort of suggested He goes, you know, maybe you can figure... So maybe, maybe something to think about, but I just on the ball, there's a lot of information... I mean, the summariser, you just sort of there and you just call in what you see, the game, and maybe picking up things that, you know, the captain, you feel that he's going to do something different or a bowler's trying to outfox the batsman in a certain way, sees a sort of um, a vulnerability in his technique, etc. Where the summariser, you know, the, the commentator, well, I mean, the job they do, you know, is, is phenomenal, really, um, you know, with the names of all the players mm. you know you get the stats but obviously the lads do their homework and their research and um, just yeah calling the grounds and the you know the the, the parts of the stadium the names yes. of different yes. you know stands and all this type of thing and uh, you know it, it's definitely an art form I mean I, I would not say no it's you know it's definitely worth thinking about but I think at the moment I'm I'll sort of, you know, say comfortable doing the summarizing, but it might be something maybe in the future that I'll maybe look to
0: do. Oh uh, well. Uh, um We'll see. Uh, I tell you what, you what what I would recommend, and I'm no I'm no expert. What what I would suggest you do is you turn you do pretty much like what your dad used to do um, when 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 he was watching and listening to the cricket. So turn mm. on the television, but then don't listen to the radio. Pretend that you are in the commentary box as a commentator, and uh, mm. and take it from there. So you're watching the TV, and then you're just doing this this ball by ball commentary. The kids and and your wife, your dear sergeant wife, may think that you're not entirely with the program but i think it'll be a great idea because you have an incredibly good voice and i think that we need to utilize it a bit more Uh, oh that's
1: very kind very kind my wife is my harshest critic so she would be very good always if i'm on the radio or if i get to listen and stuff like that she's my harshest critic but um she's been quite nice recently oh good um she has not you know I, i i've you know took took on board what she said and um, tried to implement that, so yeah. it's it's gone well so far. But I, I enjoy. It. I mean, you know what a what a thing to be able to do as you know someone who grew up playing, um, watching my dad, my older brother playing, and you know, was, you know through hard work was able to play at the elite level, and then now calling on games and still being involved and and seeing these young guys, the guys that. Very forthcoming now. The guys are great. You go out there, they want to talk to you, and and that I think so I think sometimes it helps when you're an ex-player. They sort of familiarise themselves with yourself, um, and they come over, and you know they've been very very helpful. Uh, you know, you know it can be quite hard sometimes. You've got to got all these media guys around them now and stuff, but they sort of think, oh no, there's tunes and there's Butch or Darren Goff. Let's go over and have a chat.
0: And have a so chat. It makes yeah.
1: for our job a lot easier, and obviously. The radio station or whoever we're working for it, they obviously enjoy it as well because like the guy it's not so hard to try and seduce the guys to come over they're quite willing um because they know we're not really going to try and stitch them up or anything like that we're just going to be honest and and want to hear what they want to say or if they've had a good day or the day hasn't gone too bad um, or hasn't gone well you know we've we've been in that we've been there um. So obviously you're going to be quite mindful of the questions that you ask them, mm, yeah. but you know it, it's been it's been it's been great, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously during this time, you know there was tours meant to be happening. You know England was supposed to go to India before the T20 World Cup and stuff. Obviously that's been postponed now until next year, and so we're just waiting to see, you know, when the next gig comes. But obviously I'm mindful. I have a school job as well, so you know I'm not able to just drop of a hat yeah go and do my commentary even though the headmaster at my school and, and the powers to be a, a very um accommodating because um, they know, you know it's something that i like to do and obviously it helps the school as well cause it keeps them in the picture as well advertising that type of thing so it's something that a school are quite happy for me to go and do
0: yeah absolutely that makes a, a great deal of sense now now i i was on youtube just having a little bit of a look around on youtube before i spoke to you and i came across this incredibly inspirational video of yours very short but straight to the point and that was your program your ace program do you'd like to tell us a bit more about that what is ace and and what exactly is it that you are achieving with ace
1: right yeah so um every way from brent brent um People or people listening may have heard her. She was on. She's on TMS. Yes, and she's also at this moment working on Sky. or she did that very powerful piece. You know, the Black Lives Matters with her and, and Michael Holding, which struck a chord with everyone in the nation and around the world. It was really inspirational. Um, she approached me um, actually about her. It was her who sort of had the brainchild about this ACE program, um, Afro Caribbean. Um, and, and ethnic groups um, because they just, she just wanted, you know, especially like the black community around London just to have a chance and because they just feel like something's been lost. Mm. You know, you're thinking, how can we have all these kids within London but none of them are going to cricket? You know, it's quite an elite sport, you know, it's quite a middle class sport. You generally have to have some money, because, you know, the bats and the pads and all the stuff is quite expensive. Yes. And, you know, and we're mindful of the, you know, the parents, you know, you've got single parent families, you know, kids coming from broken homes and that type of thing, parents having to work so they don't have the time to take their kids here, there and everywhere to these trials and whatever. So, you know, she wanted to use her influence and, and the people that she knew, so myself, Mark Butcher, people like that, to come on board. And 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 try and deliver this this eight program. So um, I wasn't actually able to get out there because Butch and I were in South Africa when it was launched. Um, and you know, by all accounts, it went extremely well. A load of kids came down, kids that most probably haven't been seen or brushed to the side, um, and haven't gotten the opportunity. And I think with these programs it's like I always say with people because I've been coaching for years and years and I've had a few kids and I've sent them to, to trials and stuff not saying that they're you know X-factor type players but they're very good I wouldn't send them otherwise but I just wanted them to have the same opportunities that everyone else was having but yeah. then it was when they were going it was the same sort of yes you know he, he's good but I've already got five of them in my team or you know he's not really standing out. I said, I said look, I hear what you're saying, but how about he might be hungrier than the player you've got in there at the moment. is. Yes. You, you know you don't know where he's coming from. He's coming from maybe a broken home. Mum hasn't got a lot of money, or dad, or whatever. He might think this is his way of getting out. You know, we, if we just sort of come forward and think of all oh, what Marcus Rashford, the footballer, is doing at the moment. I mean, over here in England. He's made government change with the free school dinner um, things in England because he was just saying that you know no kid here should be going home, um should be going hungry. So he used all of his you know persuasion and his um, his celebrity to do some good, and he got government Boris and them to change. You know they couldn't ignore it. He was he just had too much. Too much pull. He's got, you know, millions and millions of followers on social media. They couldn't ignore it. And he, and, and he came from, you know, his mum was working loads of jobs, you know, 14-hour days or whatever. And he says he was lucky enough, he was able to kick a ball to change that situation for his family. So when he got his contract, it was like, bought his mum a house, paid off the mortgage, all that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it might be these kids that are sort of getting brushed aside or not getting looked at how about giving them the opportunity because they might have the hunger because, as I said, cricket's quite a middle-aged sport. A lot of the kids pretty much that are in the system go to private schools. You know, as I say, for England, how, you know, how many of those kids that have come through there have come from state background? Mm. they are all been snapped up by all these big independent schools. They go either on scholarship or mum and dad have got a lot of money so they're able to pay for it. I said that's not the kids really that you're trying to to get through the door. You know, you want to encourage those kids that uh, you know don't have the money, but they've got an ambition and a, a talent to try and do something with it. And with the right sort of person, hopefully, you know, pulling them in the right direction. Who knows what they can can do with themselves? So. I think that's all that Ebony and uh, and the AIDS program is trying to do. Um, it's in its infancy at the moment. You know, it's only just started, but by all accounts, you know, um, it's it's gone extremely well. I think she may have 20 kids or whatever that have have gone onto her scheme so far uh, and, and the signs are good. So, you know, more, more of this needs to happen. I mean, you know, I, I always say you know, how can you have all those kids in the city schools and and stuff, and and you're telling me none of them can play cricket? The only thing is, we you know we have to be mindful because you know it's good now. Um, recently, I think the the game against Pakistan, the T20 the other day, was the first one on BBC this century. Me. Not a century, this century, this, you know...
0: Um, Going into
1: the, yes, into the, yes, you know, yeah, so, yeah. You know, since 2000, you know, there's yeah. been no um, live live um, cricket on TV. And, and for me, I've always said, if we want to infuse the next generation, they have to be able to see it. You know, um, not all parents have got a lot of money to pay for Sky subscription. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Sky put in a lot of money into the... English game and the ECB um, so you know we you have to be careful but I'm saying that's great but if you want this game to continue and you want to infuse the next generation of cricketers it has to be on terrestrial TV so unfortunately during this pandemic with COVID the 100 competition was supposed to, to happen and that was meant to be on terrestrial TV but obviously during these times it hasn't but the BBC have been great and they've um, come on and, um, you know, by county it went really well um, and, and, and long may it continue. But uh, the game needs to be shown far and wide. And I just always think your your, 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 your your England game, be it football, rugby, cricket, whatever it is, you know, if you want to infuse the kids for them to see it, you know, it has to be on terrestrial TV for me, but with that is a price, isn't it? Because obviously, as I said, Sky and, and these big cable companies put in a lot, a lot of money.
0: Yeah, they do but you know a point that you've made there is is such a very good one I mean so although we see the England team they certainly have over the the years had their, their mixture of of white players Asian players, you know players with Asian black gra- backgrounds mm-hmm. and black players as well it does still seem strangely as if it is still for the elite and as if uh, as if it does bend more towards uh, more of the white players. Or quite possibly some of the the black or Asian players who are privileged enough to get into the the private schools, so what what ebony Rainford Brent, and you to a certain extent, what you guys are doing is trying your very best to do something which is now also happening in southern Africa, where you know the majority of the people in South Africa and Zimbabwe are black, but up, mm. up until not so long ago, they actually were the minority in, in, in terms of cricketing skills and, and, and or in terms of cricketing opportunities.
1: Yeah, no. Um, again, totally agree. Uh, I always said, I think it was up until a long time, I was like the last black player to play and then a good friend of mine, Michael Carberry. Oh, yes. He was the, the last and then um, obviously you had Chris Jordan and now Joshua Archer, sort of come in, but I said, unless these kids see them on TV, they don't know who they are, mm. you know, um, as well as England have been doing, you know, if you go to, a you know, even the kids at my school, I mean, on unless they like cricket, if you went, could you name me the top six? You know, they're not, they might have heard of the odd name, but, you know, a lot of the names they, they wouldn't have known, you know, they won't know. Um, and that's all because they're not able to see them. Um, yeah. And as I was asked, especially for black kids now, I said, I've never seen so many black kids play rugby union. Because what's <laughs> happening, these scouts are getting out there. They're going, geez, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. <laughs> Scholarship. Yes. And these kids are just, you know, they're getting whipped up, you know, Whitgift School and all these private schools are just taking these kids in. And they're going into rugby, uh, you know, rugby union. Yeah. As I said, it's it's still a bit elitist. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's some raw talent in these state schools, but they just need love. Like all these kids, you know, these kids that are unfortunate and they end up in a wrong situation. You know, they find their, you know, their sort of love in either a gang or people outside of the home that, you know, take them in or whatever, because you know life could be difficult. We don't know the situation. But I said, all these kids need is love. If they got someone, someone they can look up to, someone that sort of cares. You know, these kids will go on and, and do great things. You know, there are there are our future sports women and um, and guys, uh, cricket and football, and as I said, medics and our politicians and stuff like that. So we need to you know, we need to nurture them yes need to show them all love and i just says I, I just want a fair playing ground for everybody i just want everyone to have the opportunity you know as i say everyone needs to eat let's not, not get too greedy mm-hmm. you know i always say you know how much is enough you know every, everyone needs to eat at the table and you know if we can share the love a little bit more i think for me the world not only cricket but the world would be in a better place but listen you know it's I
0: might
1: be going a bit too. uh, That's
0: that's Um, what I would. That's what I would like. I'd say I I think it's an absolutely magnificent, wonderful. uh, project, and of course, Ebony Rain- Rainford Brent, in my opinion, has the most beautiful laugh in the world. There is nobody with a more beautiful laugh than Ebony very Rainford Brent. It? Oh my infectious. goodness me. You know, I, I, it's a type of situation where you'd walk into a room, you'd have no idea what anyone is laughing about, but you hear a laugh, and you'll be laughing, and you'd have no idea what it is that you're laughing at, such as the quality yeah. of the of the lady. But, you know, so you and I are exactly the same age, um, so when we started loving the game of cricket, and I'm going to specifically now talk about black cricketers. So obviously we would have enjoyed the West Indian cricketers immensely. We yes. saw Kurt Lee Ambrose and Courtney Walsh at their very best. Mm-hmm. You would have been lucky enough. Uh, well, I'm assuming now, were you actually lucky enough? As a teenager growing up, were you lucky enough to to travel to venues to to watch these these people who you looked up to on television and perhaps listened to on radio, did listen, you watch them live? Listen, I,
1: was, I was lucky enough, or lucky enough through, you know, being decent at a young age. I, we were the first English team to go up to South Africa. Right. We went in 93. We were 15, 93. So it was Andrew Flintoff, myself, David Sells, David Nash, Gareth Batty. We all went England under-15s. We went to South Africa. Um... And then I think it might be 92, 93 went. And then um, West Indies were playing out there. And I remember in Bloemfontein, Orange Free State, watching Brian Lara. He got 100. Um, and I absolutely love Brian yeah, that's Aaron, correct right, yes. it was ridiculous like if he got out i turned turn the TV off and my dad wow. would say son you can't do that you can't do that you <laughs> know what I mean you have to finish the game I'm like dad no one plays with the flair this man has And so I remember he got a hundred and he gets Alan Donald and, and all those bowlers there Snell and all these guys and he just made it look so easy you know he just had the air bits in no visor and he just he looked a million dollars he had his scoop his grandical scoop, and he just, he, uh, we were sort of square onto the wickets. Obviously, watching Alan Donald and stuff, he looked like lightning. But this guy, you know, Brian Lara, just made it look so easy. He got 100, won them in the game. Um, and as I said, you know, you've got your Ambrose, your Walsh. And I've been, the, the best thing of all, I've been fortunate enough to meet them all. Um, you know, played against Courtney when he was at Gloucester. Um, same with Kurt Lee and stuff. Lara was at Warwickshire. Um, didn't really play, I didn't play against him but I played I was like 12th man or whatever right but I've, I've I've met them all in future life and you know all these role models like even going back even to Sir Viv and Gordon Greenwich and Hold, Michael Holding and all these guys Joel Garner sit down have good conversations like when I see them they don't walk past me they call my name it's all a little bit surreal you know I got invited to go to Sir Clive Lloyd's Seventieth birthday last year. I remember phoning Dad. I said, "Dad, you won't guess who you just invited me to his seventieth birthday." He had no said, Sir so Clive was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "Yes, yeah. so, you know, as a young kid growing up in a West Indian home and watching, you know, Big Pat, what I used to call him, you know, on TV, and all of a sudden, you know, this guy who's molded this great West Indian side, arguably." the greatest cricket team ever assembled, debatable with the great Australian side under Mark Taylor, then Steve Waugh. Um, for me, you know, it's here or there, which of those are the greatest teams assembled. I think the only difference for Australia that they had Shane Warne. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see how the West Indian lads would have played him. But um, two phenomenal sides. But just, you know to sit down and talk cricket and listen to the stories that they had and stuff. I, I'm very old school in my thinking and how I was brought up. And, you know, I remember just sitting down on the steps or in the, in the living room listening to my dad and his mates talking old cricket stories and stories. And it's the same with those guys. I could sit down and listen to them for hours and hours. And the stories that they have and the experiences that they've had and the knowledge that they, 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 they want to pass on to you as you, as a young black kid, you know, is, is phenomenal. And they're always looking out for you. I mean, you know, I met Saviv um, at the Oval. I've met him before. but I met him at the Oval. I was with my older brother. I introduced my brother to him. And, you know, he's, he's very much on your manners and stuff. And there was like autograph hunters, you know, hovering around. And then, you know, they tried to cut in... While Zaviv is talking, that's one thing you don't do. No. And he went nuts, and my brother's eyes just like went in the back of his head. Like, what is going on? And I just like Zaviv is massive on respect and manners and stuff. And he was talking, and these guys are cutting him, you know, so they can try and ask for an autograph. He's like, you have to wait.
0: Yes.
1: You know, yes. if you're talking, and that's rude. You know, and he had a point, and he was like, yeah. So you have to wait, you know, and and just stuff like seeing all that and oh man, I've you know, as I said, I've been lucky enough I've called on Michael Holden, he's come to my school. and we did a far in Babylon evening, the parents came in, they absolutely loved it. And you know, I've been lucky enough, you know, i called Courtney Walsh a friend and and all that. It's you know, I, I've been very fortunate in my in my life and you know, as I said, been lucky that guys I grew up watching um then became you know people I looked up to but then became friends and people that you know you you look upon if you know when times are hard or difficult whatever they they will ask how you are and you know I remember when I was younger, I asked Courtney just to what when we sorry we were playing gossip, I said, just have a little look, tell me what you think and then just the advice he passed on to me you know is something i I'll remember forever.
0: And how much did Devon Malcolm's spell of nine for fifty-seven against South Africa at the Oval in nineteen ninety-four oh. inspire you?
1: Yeah, ninety-four it was. Ninety-four Oval. Yeah. Um, phenomenal. I mean, I remember watching that, and, and I was lucky enough. I joined the Surrey staff that um, in ninety-five, and you know, Alex Stewart and and those. I think Steve Rose was actually keeping. And he was like, we are miles back here. We're like 30 yards back, <laughs> you know, and he's hitting our gloves hard. All I remember from that is that Darrell Cullinan, great player, even though he had his nightmares against Shane Warne. Yeah. He like, fine, fine player, but people just remind him about Shane Warne. He had like this phobia that Shane Warne just had and his number, you know, as soon as he came in, the, the ball still and. You know, Warney would come on and just get him out. He just had his number, but he was the only one that would stand up to Dev on that day. I think he ended up 80 odd nine out or whatever it was at the other end. Um, Dev steaming in and Daryl Cullen, and Cullinan, I mean, he, he was a good player. Good player. But I remember Dev, you know, sending off Kepler, Kepler and, you know, Cronier playing a a, a perfectly 5 4 defence, and he was a bit 10 minutes too late, his stumps <laughs> cartwheeling all over the place, and. Yeah, no, it was a phenomenal spell and then, you know, on the back of that, Dev went out to South Africa and, you know, met the great man, you know, Nelson Mandela on the back of that and just, you know, inspirational stuff.
0: It is inspirational stuff I mean that, that was a fine test series, you know because uh, it was we saw some magnificent performances obviously Devin Malcolm just completely took the the show with his nine for fifty seven England then needing mm. two hundred and just over two hundred in the final. you never know what 's going to happen in the in the fourth and final innings, do you but what also really stood out to me and I know i 'm being a little bit biased was Graham Hick and the way that he took Alan Donald to pieces scoring 81 not out of 81 balls of 13 fours uh th- that would have been pretty special just to just to top up that sensational performance by Dave as well
1: listen I I'm a great admirer of Hickey uh, I just feel he was unfortunate a whole England thing especially like with my good friend Mark Ramprakash as well yes they, those two always seem to they didn't they didn't do what they did at the county stage for England and stuff like that. It was a different time. It was, and when you listen to them and they've spoken quite freely about it, that no one really spoke to them. It was, you know, those 90s were very, very difficult being within that England team. It was very much, you know, you're there for yourself. You you know, you play one game, you might not play another. Um, you know, everyone was looking out for themselves and it was, it was, it was, dog eat dog it was it was a difficult time and they just felt like you know the coaches didn't really give them the love that you know the guys get now they got central contract. as they get looked after you know you get a, a a series to go and show what you can do where back then it was you know four innings basically two test matches if you haven't got any back to county cricket and yeah. that's what they did they'll get a load of hundreds come back and you know in out in out you know the you think of the mental toughness of what they've had to do. And then i I always remember cause always, you know, Ramps is my boy. And when people sp- speak ill of Ramps, I jump down their throat. Yeah, There was a time when he played, so there was, a, he had scored the most runs in a calendar year, one year. I think when we went to, so we went to the, we went to Australia in 98, 99. He did really well. I think he got 300 plus runs in that series. Then he came back, did really well. And then it was England were looking to change a few things. And then it was, right, let's try and get him to open the batting. And then he was told, have a little bit of a rest. It's like, what batsman wants a rest? I've never heard of so much nonsense. But he was like trying to just get him out of the team. And he had to deal with all of that nonsense. And, you know, he wanted to keep playing. So he opened the batting. I think it was actually against Zimbabwe um i think he ended up getting 150 um you know he's street good bowler got him a couple times whatever and and then it was like he was brushed aside and he came back against australia at the oval got his hundred finally against them and it's just in out in out it's, it's it's difficult and hickey was great player there was certain players in the county game Hick was one, Rats was the other, and for me, it was John Crawley, those three. Oh, yes, if absolutely. If you didn't get them in their 20s, game done. Not game yeah. done, but I mean, they were booked in for 100. Yeah. You know, you had to get those men early, otherwise, you're in the field all day. And they would make you pay. one, And they weren't happy with just 100. The amount of double hundreds those guys have got, a big, big hundreds they've got. You know, obviously... You know, Hickey went on to get 405. Rams has got a triple. John Crawley's got a load and load of runs as well. You know, these guys were greedy. They got their runs. And uh, like you said in that innings where Hickey got 81 not out. But I remember, you know, on my debut, um, you know, uh, Gillespie and, you know, McGrath bowling really well. Gillespie was bowling quick. And, and Hickey in the second innings took him on, got 70 or 69 or whatever, was pulling them in front of square. And You know, he had that in him. Um, But unfortunately, when he first started in 91, came up against the West Indies, Patterson, Ambrose, Walsh. Um, I think they talk about it because he got 100 in the warm-up game against them for Worcester. That's correct. And put lashes on them. And then I think Viv and and the bowlers came together and said, listen, this man ain't getting it again. Chin music. (laughs) And then... You know, and then it was oh he can't play the short ball. I don't think he could play the short ball, but it was, you know, was, everything is heightened when you're playing for England, you know, the T V and everything's there. And then people are, you know, dissecting your technique and everything. And he was unfortunately come up and gets a very good bowling, you know, Marshall, these guys. These are serious bowlers, some of the greats of the game. Um and it was difficult. You know, it's not like he made his debut, no disrespect against, like, say, the likes of Bangladesh, Zimbabwe back yeah, then.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, These are serious Australia, West Indies, Pakistan, with Wazim and Waka I mean, army. It's no joke. So, you know, it was a difficult time to, you know, start off a, 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 a flourishing career. I always say to people, I think Hickey ended up averaging 34. Okay? Yeah. Mike Gatting goes down as a great for England, only averaged about the same, but he goes down as a great because he won the Ashes in 87.
0: Yeah, goodness me, that is a, an incredible comparison and, and rightly so. So let's talk a bit about your your career Toots. you know i mm. I was a very big admirer and fan of yours. I just loved the way and I know it sounds very silly coming from a a person who's totally blind and has never ever had sight. but I loved the way that you ran and you approached the crease very aggressively. You know you had a heavy ball um, and and you swung the ball beautifully as well and now here is a, is a classic situation where we could look at your career, 10 test matches, 28 wickets. And for somebody who doesn't follow cricket as closely as I do, you know, they would mm. say, well, that's not particularly good. 28 wickets and mm. 10 test matches, but had they known the amount of, of really bad injuries you had to try and deal with, you even consulted a, a well-known German doctor, just talk to us, about some of the injuries and how you were able to find a way back every single time after those injuries to to play again
1: yeah i mean it, it started quite early for me I, I never really had any grand age groups growing up anything like that. as soon as i turned pro the injuries started to come and actually it was my first tour to zimbabwe right uh, on the 19s um I think Bulawayo, is that where the Monument
0: yes. Hotel is? In Harare, that's in Harare. The Harare, sorry. Right. Went, yeah.
1: got, went there. I lasted two and a half weeks um, at a side strain. I had a, well, um, basically, I had floating bone um, in the side of, side of my ribs um, that we didn't know about. I'd gone for um, x-rays, everything, nothing showed up. And then one day I bowled, and then he couldn't breathe. It got impinged. I'd put floating bone in there. Um, so I was sent back. And it was just a catalogue of knee issues, I've had four knee operations, I've you know, torn my shoulder, broke my pelvis, Mm. which was the longest I was out for about a year and a half with that one, met a tarsal, you know, I've had pretty much every part of my body injured apart from my back, my back's always good, people always sort of say, oh have you had back injury, touch wood I've never had a back problem. but I've had everything else and it just stopped in my career. It was like like I always said at the beginning of the county year, I would always be in the top five of wicket takers and then I'll get injured. So I'll get forty wickets quite quick. And then that'll be me done. I'll be done by July. Or, you know, I never really saw August at all. I was you know, June, you know, April, May, fly in, play a bit of June and then boom, I'm injured. Um, so it's always very frustrating um, as you rightly said I, 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 you know when I left or when I got released from Surrey in 04 um, Ronnie Rorani and Darren Goff called me in and said look we want to sign you we know the ability but we need to get you right we have got someone we want you to come and see um, and it was Dr. Buller Wolfart in Germany you know the German national doctor, Munich, doctor absolute genius and um I mean, the catalogue of people he sees is is ridiculous. Um, and he gave me an 85% chance of playing again. And my dad was like, son, you've got to take those because basically everyone in England, the surgeons start saying I would never play again. Um, and he was like, uh, that's nonsense. You'll play, but it's just going to be a long process. It's going to be like a year of, you know, getting this knee sorted and then the rehab. And, and, I, and Essex and Ron Eats um that stuck me at, um behind me, something that I'll never forget and um I was able to play again um and that means actually fine uh now it's not, it doesn 't cause me any problems at all It's the other one that sort of messes about once mm-hmm. in a while, but I know mm-hmm. how to deal with that now, and i 'm obviously not playing the volume of cricket that I used to play, but um you know it was it was just frustrating and you know, I, I, to motivate yourself. So, when you get injured, you then have got to motivate yourself to do the training. You know, you're in all day, you see the physio in the morning, you do your rehab, you see him in the afternoon, you do your rehab, you go home, you know, and it's a lonely place because, you know, the lads might not be doing too good. They come up from a bad session, they see you, it's like, oh, choose when you're going to be fit again. You know, so I've been carted all around the park and it's like they want someone to blame. So, you're in their eye line, mm. you're getting it. Yep. And it was very much like that in your career. You you feel like there's nothing you can do. You want to go out and help the lads, but you can't. Um, so it was lonely place and you just sort of get in your head, your head. And I used to just, people that I was sort of competing with at that time, so your Matthew Hoggard, your Curtleys and all these type of young fast bowlers, your Silver's back then, i just motivate myself, say, look, you know, are these guys putting in the yards, you know, go out, there and, and get in the gym, and you know, get on the exercise bike, the rowing machine, do your weights, do your core stability, all that type of thing, and and get back. And that's what I had to do pretty much all the time. Um, as I said, it's quite a difficult place, it messes with your head sometimes. But I had some, you know, good family members and good friends around me um, that that got behind me. And, and as you say, my England career, you know, it started off really, really well. You know, my batting average was good, obviously on the back of the 99 not out, and and a few not outs I'd got and then um India and Australia at home dealt with that, sort of sort of ruined my average. I was averaging like the twenties and they got it to thirty what did they end up? Thirty one, two or something on average. Um, because Tendulkar and uh Dravid and then Ricky Pontin, and they sort of ruined the average, but you know, there's some decent battles. <laughs> <laughs> that ruined a few other bowlers as well so it's it's not that bad but I said no. you know the games I've played against Australia I can hold my head up high you know I've got four wickets on debut I've got five for 44 at Trent Bridge you know I, I don't think I've embarrassed myself or my family when I did play for England it's just unfortunate that with injury I just wasn't able to you know and it's something I sort of think so you know I, would I would I have played 50 test matches and how would I have done and you know it's a little bit of a frustration for me but I said I wouldn't change anything you know I had a, a good career played, played with and against some of the greatest people to ever play this game and you know as I said you know, my life you know I, I now work and, and help kids to you know hopefully be not sort of take take the army line but be they all they can be and just give them some advice and some guidance and sort of tell them try and guide them with you know if you want to be that elite sportsman or woman, this is the work you have to now put in. You know, you need to put the hard work in. Yeah. You know, it's a small pool when you get to the international stage. And if you're not putting in the hard work, well, I guarantee someone else is. Because, you know, whatever situation they're in, it might be their only way out. Yeah. Or, you know, making some serious money or whatever it is that motivates them. So you need to make sure that you sort of keep them you know, if you're if you're in that eleven, make sure it is hard for someone to you know get you out. Because when you're out, you don't know how long you're going to be out for. So, you know, leave no stone unturned. Just work hard. As long as you put in the work, and the dedication, the commitment, the world's yours. And go and get it. And that's what I try and tell these kids now. You know, let's not moan. Let's not mm, don't get a chance. And yeah. mm, he don't like me. She don't like me. Whatever. Just go out there. Go out there and express yourself, you know, and that's what I try and tell these kids.
0: And I I want to go back to that Trent Bridge Test match. It it was an incredibly special time for you because England had not batted particularly well. But Mm -hmm. then, as as unfortunately (laughs) was, uh, yeah, again, that's uh, how it was in those days. But I got to tell you, it made for very good cricket, though, so along you come. And you, you get amongst the wickets. So, Matthew Hayden, LBW, I know that you said looking back at it now in the replay, maybe it would have pitched outside. That's <laughs> not City your yeah, fault? The DRS might have that one up. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. w- w- what I found remarkable, though, Tudes, was so there was the one LBW, which meant, obviously means that you would have pitched the ball up. And the, your other four wickets, all of them were caught at slip. So, mm-hmm. Ma- Mike Atherton took two brilliant catches. Mark Butcher yes, took indeed. two brilliant catches. So, that tells me that you were you were swinging the ball quite well. You were pitching the ball up and swinging the ball quite nicely. But, in your own words, I'd like you just to take us through, you know, and the chant of the Tudor, Tudor. Uh-huh. You know, it, what is it like when you've got the Trent Bridge crowd behind you? You're running in and you're getting the likes of uh, Mark Waugh, Michael. Uh, Mark Warren and then of course Hayden uh, Adam Gilchrist and then the two tail enders in McGrath and Lee
1: yeah no it was it, no it, it's not like pinch yourself moment um, but I think Athos was captain Nasser got injured he old uh, pop it on fingers again I think he <laughs> had a problem with his fingers and um, the Athos took over as captain and he just he, he just he just I suppose had a lot of respect for Affairs and stuff as well, um, being a senior head and just all the stuff he had done in previous years being England captain, you know, I, I like the way he batted and stuff and um, he just dealt with me, just knew how to, you know, talk to me and, and whatever and he just used me well and he just said, look to you, just when you come in there, do your thing. Um, I always had a good record against left-handers because of my general ball would go across um, across the left hander so I always used to cause them problems mm. um, and you know as you say you know getting Hayden and then Mark Moore, who I actually you know I've been lucky I got him on my debut and got him in that test match but I used to absolutely love him as a batsman just the elegant ease of how he batted and just the sheer nonsense of how he went about it he was one of my favourite batters of all time so to get him was great and then you know um, Gilchrist and then Liam McGrath you know, Gilly. We all know how dangerous that guy is. Um, absolute freak show. Um, so to get him, him was nice. Um, but then Lee, and as you say, my the thing that was nice, my parents were there, um, and my older brother. They were there. You know, so it was nice. So you know, I sort of felt, you know, I'm not alone. Um, and my parents were there to see it. They weren't able to, you know, come out to Australia um, on my debut because it was a bit of a surprise. They were always coming out. Christmas New Year, which is Melbourne-Sydney test matches, yes. but then I got I got thrown in early so they weren't able to come at that time, so to have them there at Trent Bridge, you know, playing against Australia, packed house, as you say, you know, the crowd got nuts because, you know, we were still in the game at that time, because, um, you know, they bowled us out and then we bowled them out. Um, and, and they bowled us out again so they already chased 130 odd, uh, in the second dig or whatever but yeah. up until that point it was like we're still in this series if we would have won that game you know it was, you're still in the series but uh, cause then Butch did what he did at Headingley um, you know we would have drawn the series but um, you know it wasn't to be and you know we we didn't disgrace ourselves but you know it, it, for me personally to get a five foot um, against Australia and, and that my name's up in the pavilion. And I said, well, I'm dead and gone. You know, my name's still going to be there. You know, my kids hopefully one day will, you know, will go there and they'll see dad's name up on the board. It's something that I'm very, very proud of.
0: Uh, and so you should be. So you should be. I'm going to give you a little statistic. I wonder if you're aware of it. Do you pretty, You seem like you're pretty hands on. Did you know that when you played your when you debuted for England in the first Test match? Obviously, it was 1998. Uh, yeah. Did you know that the dates of when you played your first Test match and when you played your last Test match almost coincide to the day with each other? So you made your debut against Australia, and this would have been, I'm sure, Gabba in Brisbane in, in, in 1998. No, I it was, Dino, it was Perth, Perth. Perth, right. Yes, of course, that's where they Perth, would have played the you, first. Yes. Indeed, so that's, that's correct because that's where Hickey made his 60-yard as well. But anyway, yeah, so right. yes. 1998, 28th of November, you made your Test match, your, your debut uh, in Test cricket, against the Aussies and the Ashes. Did you know that yes. your last test match that you would have uh, played was in 2002 at the Wacker, at the Wacker and that test yep. match started on the 29th of November. So almost within a day of each other.
1: Wow, well, I didn't know the days, but I knew, <laughs> I said, I don't know how many people would have made debut and their last game <laughs> on the same ground. <laughs> I don't know how many people have done that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately I didn't know at the time it was going to be my last test match, but it was um, but I didn't know the days actually so that's 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 interesting well i did I, I did not know that yeah um, but I knew it was you know my debut and my last ever game for you know England um was did, both at the Weka. yeah so yeah I don't think a lot of people would have that that's that's that.
0: <laughs> um, did you have any de- detractors Alex So were there people who said you know what you you're basically just you're soft man you know you, you, as soon as you start playing and maybe the pressure gets a bit to you and then the next thing you, mm. you, you tell us that you got some sort of an injury because there are those those players who just I wonder if you remember there was a, a, a young South African uh, fast bowler by the name of Mfoneko Ngam uh, and he was around very briefly oh. in 2000 he, ha- he bowled with the speed of light tudes he was very quick 153 plus kilometers an hour so what are we talking 94 95 miles an hour Uh, very very big admirer of alan donald who tried his best to look after him but they just couldn't keep him fit he he just had a lot of malnourishment malnourishment issues and and so on and unfortunately his career was cut short due to horrific one horrific injury after another and i would imagine many people would have said to him you know, so it was. It was a lot of it was put down to the diets. They tried to get him on the right diets, um, and, but it didn't work. So, did you have the same situation where people came to you and said, "You know what, mate? I wonder how many times you really were injured, and how many times you just, you know, come up with these with it's, these fake injuries?" It's,
1: it's interesting you say that because. Um yeah, so there was a few actually, so I, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to call their name, because I don't think I'm course. not going go to, but there was a few ex-players, um, some absolute legends of the game that, I can understand people getting frustrated, because when I played, as I said, I did embarrass myself, and I did well, so when I worked there, they were like, you know, this guy needs to be out there, but he's injured, is he really injured, and it was upsetting that some were like, just take an anti-inflammatory, and I'm like, well, hang on a minute, anti-inflammatory is there if, you know, the problem is, you know, inflammation, and you're just going to get down to get through the game. But my, as I said, my injuries were serious injuries. I had four knee operations. You can't bowl if your knee's gone. No, um, no. Metatarsal, you know, burning your foot, gone, can't bowl. My, my pelvis, gone, out for a year and a half, torn shoulder which is my bowling arm. Can't bowl. Rib. Broken off. Um, they gave me quarter zone after quarter zone. You're only meant to have two in your lifetime. I've had about three in the same spot, mm-hmm. which my mum, who's a nurse, was not happy about um, because people did not believe that I was injured, which is bare foolishness when you think about it. So it wasn't like I've had you know, all the hamstring, or my finger or anything like that, that you sort of think, all right, okay, yeah, get on with it. These are the injuries as a big fast bowler, if you have the problem, you're not bowling. So it was disappointing that ex-players that would have played the game, and it's a different time because they're playing in the 70s, the 80s where it was strap it up or do whatever and yes. just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, But you see them now, they can't walk you know know they've got knee replacement hip replacement everything I'm like I don't want that for me I want to be able to run around with my kids Um, and these are pretty serious injuries so to say oh pop a pill and get on with it was disappointing to hear and you know it just shows you the sort of I suppose the the ignorance uneducated views of people who didn't really know what the problems were and they were just taking a oh, choose is soft, oh, he only wants to bowl when he's when he's um, fit. Well, it's nonsense. I remember Graham Dilley, one of my coaches, God bless him, not with us anymore. He said to me at a young age, he was my first, well, not my, my first bowling coach as a professional, he had me and Ben Holyoke. He was like, Choose, one thing you will learn, young man, is you will never bowl 100% fit. And I learned that very early on in my career. You will have... You know, your toes will be bleeding and because, you know, of the you know the, the creases rock hard and you're there bowling with your studs and you're digging down, digging down and you're twisting, you know, six times your body weight going for your front leg. Your feet are all mangled and, and whatever. And, you know, your hand might be a bit tight. Your captain wants you to come and bowl a third spell before, you know, the evening session or whatever. And, and it takes time for you to warm up or whatever. So I know that you're never going to bowl 100% fit. But what it is, is knowing as an individual when you can bowl, and when you can't. And I I learned that quite early. Mm. So it was quite disappointing when ex-players and players were sort of thinking, oh, is Tunes injured or is it, or is just because, you know, maybe the form ain't great or it's a bit difficult or, you know I mean? I've not shied away from no challenge on a cricket field. You know, if someone's bowling extremely quick like Brett Lee was or whatever, yeah, it's quick. But, you deal with it. Um, Shane Warren's bowling had me on toast, but I'd go and face it. Um, not that I was out there too long when he was bowling at me, but, you know, if Tendulkar's but it's a challenge. You want to yes. do that. I don't want to bowl against people that can't bat. Yeah. That doesn't look good if you're just knocking out number 10 and 11 every time. You want to, f- you know, bowl against the best and and see where you are against it When you're bowling against all these great players, your War brothers, your Gilchrist, your Ponting. You know, you're, you know, you're, um, as I have, um, Sangakkara and, uh, Jair and, and Jair and all these guys, Patu and, you know, when I come up against, um, India and, I mean, that top seven was a, a joke.
0: Yes. You know,
1: you got Saywag and then, you know, um, Ganguly and, uh, Dravid, Laxman. I mean they just kept coming at you. Um, and you want to test yourself against them. You know, what's the point of just bowling against someone who can't bat, and then you sort of think, oh, yeah, I've got a great record, and you're getting out 10 and 11 every time. It's like, nah, you ain't fooling anybody. So I've not shied away um, against anyone. It's not in my character. It's not how I was brought up. and It's just a shame, but it is what it is. You know, if people are uneducated or they don't want to talk to you and they're just making their own assumptions, that's where really all the the... the the talk or the sort of back talk comes from. You know, if you have an issue, go and address it and then and see what that person has to say. Don't be making up your own nonsense and then putting it out there. And then, you know, people are very influenced on what the greats will say and what they're saying in the papers and on TV and radio, you know, but their information, where's that coming from? You know, go and address it head on. Go and speak to the person. Are, are, are you injured or is there an issue? Is there anything I can help you with or whatever? It's like, no, my, my knee's gone, mate. I can't do any. I can't bowl. I would love to be able to bowl, but I can't. And you're not going to go out there and, you know, go and embarrass yourself and you get carted everywhere and everyone's like, oh, he's not bowling quick enough. He's not bowling at 85 plus or whatever. What's wrong with him? He's not got it in his cart. It's like, mate, um, you know, you hear those stories of people... You know, the Geoffrey Archer thing. You know, we, we found, uh, you know, after he bowled at 96, 95 mile an hour at Lord's against um, Smith. Yeah. And then he went to Headingley, dropped his pace, still got Pfeiffer, but bowling at 83, 84. People going, well, hang on a minute. Why is he not bowling at 95? five? Don't You can't bowl 90 every day. It's a skill. Assess the situation. Right, this wicket, I don't need to do it on this today. I just need to, you know, still bowl quick enough, but I just need to pitch it up maybe more and let the wicket do the rest for me. Mm. And there's certain wickets, flat, not doing nothing, right, I know I'm not going to bowl no more than four overs. Right, I'm going to steam in, man out, sweet chin music, let's go. You know, it's just different situations and that's when you have to have a great relationship with your captain. Skipper, what is it you're asking of me? Is it maidens we're looking for or you want me to rough this guy up? All right, if I'm roughing him up, I need to feel a certain way. Blah, blah, blah. If we're looking to bowl some maidens, I need maybe not so many slips and, you know, make sure I've got enough cover. Let's try and do that. And that's when I speak to young bowlers now. I said, when you go on the bowl, have a clear thought is what, what is it you're trying to do? Yeah. Are like you trying to take wickets? You're trying to, um, keep it tight, bowling for the guy at the other end or whatever? You know, and that's what you, as a bowler, you need to, to know what you're doing and have that that conversation with the captain and make everyone in the team understand what it is you're doing when you come on so you know the fielders are not throwing their hands up in the air why is he bowling short and wide again and why is he pitching up and he keeps getting driven back down down the ground you have to you know analyse the situation what is it at this time what is it the captain and the team need me to do and that's what it is cricket cricket smarts, but you need to be cricket smart.
0: And do you think Jofra Archer understands, I mean, I, I'm hoping somebody takes him aside and, you know, helps him to understand when he needs to be bowling certain lengths to certain batsmen, because sometimes it just feels, I feel very sorry for him because it mm. feels like they just let him, you know, just say, you know, why aren't you bowling at 95 or 96 miles an hour? But are people taking him aside and, and helping him and saying, look, this is, you know, like Dale Steyn was a real master, wasn't he? Dale Steyn yeah, went to pretty. bowl at 80, three miles an hour, but then you went to bowl at 92 miles an hour as well.
1: Yeah, no, no, definitely. I, I know like Butchers spoke about this as well. I know I think there was a comment in the test match when you know Joffra was saying, oh, the pitch didn't condone him bowling at 90, but then young Nassim, um the Pakistan young kid, came on and bowled quick and, and and made it quite awkward. So it's just like the media now and social media and everything, it's, you can't hide, like, back in the 90s when I was playing, listen, it was only what the media or Sky or whatever Channel 4 back then were putting out. You did, there was no social media, so no one can't come and attack you yeah. and press some buttons and say, yeah, you're rubbish and blah, 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 and this and that, where everyone, everybody on the planet now has a voice. Um, it's quite a different, you mentally, the mental toughness of a, a, a professional sportsman and woman now has to be top draw. If you let those things interfere with your game or you, you're not going to last very long. So I just hope that Joffrey does have, you know, have to be mindful of what you say. You know, you don't want to make yourself come out and look, and look silly, but you've got to be mindful of what you say. And as you say, I think it's a conversation you needs to have with. Joe Root, Silverwood, These guys. What, is it? Do you, what do you want me to do? You want me to bowl 90 mile an hour every day, alright, I've got 15 overs for you, maybe three spells, fight, I'm going to come in on the steaming, it. but it's just, knowing, because he's a very skillful bowler, from his time in limited overs cricket in 2020, where he's gone around a well IPL, BB, um, BB um, the Big Bash, whatever, yeah. he's done extremely well, so he's a very skillful bowler, so he's not just Bowling at 9-mile-an-hour, he's got Yorkers, he's got slower balls, he's got skills. But I think England just got to know how to use him. You know, Joshua, if we've got Broad, Anderson, Woz in the team, we don't need you as also bowling at 8-3-mile-an-hour. I think he has to know that. He's got to be 88-90-mile-an-hour and plus. Because we've got three bowlers in the team that are already doing that. Bowling at 80, 82, 83, moving it, pitching it up, swinging it. But you're or what they sort of call now the enforcer. Yep. We need you. Bowl round the wicket, come in, rough him up, couple of slips, man out, short leg, and do that. And I think that's the conversation that they need to have. I'm sure they are. I'd be very surprised if they're not having those conversations. It just obviously he has to go out there and implement it. But, I, I you know, if... If the bowling attack's different, so if Anderson's in and um, you know they leave either Broad out or whatever, or Wokes ain't playing, you have got Sam Curran or whoever it is, you know, then obviously his he, his his way of bowling may change again. But it's you know the, the team sheet will tell you if you've got Broad, Anderson, Wokes, Archer, spinner, best then Archer's the enforcer in that yes. side. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's what,
1: he, that's what he needs to do. He doesn't need to bowl at eighty mid-80s. He needs to bowl at high 80s, 90 miles an hour because you've already got three in a team and lads that can bowl good spells, that can do that. So there's no sense having four bowlers bowling at the same pace. It makes no sense.
0: And 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 also, choose it, it doesn't. You know what I mean? A lot of people are, are of the opinion. You know, they always say, "Well, this fast bowler back in 1973 was able to bowl 35 overs." Or or whatever the case may be so what in my opinion if you want Archer to be your enforcer even if he gives you as you just said 15 overs but at maximum pace and even if he goes at 5 runs an over but he's got you 5 or 6 wickets bowling yes. uh, doing what he's supposed to do surely he's done the job and it doesn't matter if it had to take him you know it doesn't matter if he can't bowl 35 or 36 overs surely that's not the point because you've got your wokes, your Sam Curran and whoever else you know who will do the, the donkey work. Let, let yeah, Archer come in and, and do what he no, does. No, I totally
1: agree with you. Totally yeah. agree. And I had that situation at Surrey. And that's where Adam Arlioz, for me, the best captain I played under, Butch was also the same when Adam was away with England doing his um, one-day internationals and yeah. Butch took over. That's how they used me. I had Martin Bicknell, arguably one of the best bowlers of our decade, yeah. bowling, my bowling partner. He could bowl all day because his bowling... Mid 70s, yes, maybe got up to maybe 77, maybe odd time, but 70s, tall, six foot five, moves it away. learnt bowlers in the back end of his career, different gravy bowler, thousand wickets, first class wickets. So I had him as a Mahmood, um, you know, and then we got Saul's sack lane. So, so I was, dude, you ain't bowling no more than 16 overs, I want you to steam in. Even if you bowl five overs and you go for 25-30 where you get one or two wickets, you've done your job. I've done your job. Yeah. And that's how they used me. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, once you get into a rhythm and you start getting a couple, you know, you're feeling good. You feel like I can, I can hit that spot and whatever and blah, blah, blah <laughs> and you end up getting your five, four or whatever. But generally, you know, my job was to come in and make it uncomfortable for the batsmen. Mm. They had bickers to bowl your, your eight over spells and, and whatever. We had Saki and Solz that would come in and demolish the team in the second innings or whatever. But my job first, you know, was coming to make it uncomfortable for the batsmen, you know, get caught, slip, gully, you know, get a man caught out on the boundary, on, on the hook shot or whatever. You know, you're testing their their heart. What, 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 what's your being like? I'm not there to run up and pitch it up and get driven back past me. I'm here to pitch it halfway down on my back of the left and try and rough you up. And that's how the captain and, and Butch, when he was captain, and the team, they knew that was my job. There was very it was very rare that I Bob more than twenty overs in a day when I was at, sorry in our in our in the height of our, our my team mm-hmm. when yeah. we were very very good. Um, my job was to just come and rough 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 the batsman up, and sometimes my figures may not look pretty, but I knew and the team knew what my job was to do. And, and and that's so important. Everyone in the team must know what your role is. You gotta know what your role is in the team. My my job is not to bowl five overs, four maidens. That's not my job.
0: No, no, no,
1: no. You know, I'm I'm trying to test the batsman so within their beans going, they may stay leg side and flay me over the slips and, and whatever, but eventually, you know, hopefully I'm gonna get you. Yeah. So I might bowl five overs one maiden, two for 25 or something, 30. But I've got two wickets. I'm averaging 15, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, so it's, you know, you're right. You know, if you get five for 100, you're averaging 20, it's like, but obviously it's got to be, you know, five for 100 if, you know, if it's a low scoring game is not great. You know what I mean, obviously. So you have to be aware of that. But if the circumstances require it, it could be a flat wicket, you know, so it's not conducive to just run up in and swing it and move it around. Mm. It's flat, so you've got to, you know, you got to have some chin music in your, you know, you sort of go bumper Yorker, bumper Yorker, you know, you've got just bowling length, you know, when it's flat, you're going to get punched through the covers and back past you and, you know, good players will punish you, but you just got to know as a bowler, it's so important to know your role within that side, but it's also important that the team know what it is. It's not just you and the captain. The team know what it is that he's asking of you. Obviously, you've got the ball in your hand, but what is he asking of you at that particular time in that different situation? Um, You know, you might be bowling with Jimmy Anderson who's, you know, um, trying to, you know, he's working out a batsman. He's he's got his number at some states, but you don't want to make sure it's released at the other end. you got to bowl for your partner like you would when you're batting. You know, you've got to bowl for your partner. So, you, you know, end of the nose, you might have to bowl a high bumper to keep that batsman down at that end or throw in a wide one We can't, you know. So, you bowl for your partner. Yeah. Those type of things. I mean, I, I used to do that quite a lot. Either if I was bowling with a spinner, either Sack Your Souls or if I was bowling with Bickers and he was, you know, he had a guy on toast. Um, you know I'll make sure a high bumper will go in whatever I'll say Bickers come get him
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: you know and, and you have to do those things work together as a team it's a team game
0: and that's why hunters uh, bowlers should I say <laughs> hunt together quite yeah. nicely yeah uh, you got to you got to you're out there
1: I mean some people are all about the stats and yeah. look at me and stuff like that I was all about is my team winning and look at my trophy cabinet that's what I want to know yeah,
0: absolutely beautiful Alex Tudor, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I knew it would be a good conversation. I, I, like I said, became a very big admirer of yours listening to you on TalkSport. Um, may you continue to do incredibly good things to help encourage and promote, especially the black cricketers. We already... Look back with great fondness of uh, players before you, such as Devon Malcolm and my all-time England favourite Philip DeFreitas. I was a bit obsessed with Philip oh, F- DeFreitas; yes, yes. <laughs> fantastic all-round, in my opinion. Uh, yes. And may may you and Jofra Archer and all the upcoming cricketers and uh, both pr- present and past e- Ebony Ray- Rainford-Brent as well. What a wonderful lady she is! May you just continue yes. to do the good work that you have done so far, and may you go. From strength to strength. Thank you for taking time out to be on the Dean at Stumps Podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Dean, and I appreciate your kind words and yeah, it's very very much uh, felt and, and thank you for that. And I very much enjoyed coming on your podcast. May have the success it's having at the moment at the moment and happy to come on again, or if it's someone you you want to get in touch with, then don't be shy to to get in contact and I'll see what I can do. And I just say I, I, I wish you all the best as well and the success that you're having. And,
0: and thanks very much for having me on.